you have your Bible tonight, turn with me please to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter number 20. And I would invite you to look with me beginning in verse number 17, if you would, where we read, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility in mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept nothing that was profitable, kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years... I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him under the ship. Lord, I pray that tonight as we study your word, that you would minister to each of us. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. And may you receive the glory and honor. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. As we begin this passage of Scripture, we discover that the Apostle Paul is 
preparing to, to leave and to go to Jerusalem. And he has called the elders of the church from Ephesus together to tell him what God was directing in his life that he should do. Before he made his journey, he began to recount to them the nature and the course of his ministry during the space of the years that he was among them. It was a very emotional meeting because they loved one another very sincerely. And most of all, they knew when he left that they would never see his face again. It was, in many ways, a triumphant moment as Paul transferred the leadership of the ministry to the elders there solely. And as he went away, knowing that those who he had poured his life into would now be standing in the gap and assuming the reins of leadership and that they would see him no more. And I imagine in many ways it might have been like a, a parent seeing their children off to college and, and maybe after they graduated or walking them down the aisle, the type of emotion that might be sensed there. But the one thing that begins to come through as the theme, the underlying theme here, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all throughout these words which we have read tonight, we discover that Paul's ministry among them was entirely devoted to the communication of the gospel. And I would submit to you that it was not simply just communicating the gospel of Jesus to them that were lost. It was in every sense of the term Paul demonstrating in a very vivid fashion that he did not just preach the gospel, but he lived the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that is simply useful for us in order that we might be saved, though it is that. But it goes far beyond just the moment of our conversion whereby we believe the good news that God loves us and desires to forgive us of all of our sins. And thereby then we begin to enter into the gospel message and we live according to the grace of God. We recognize that we are not even worthy of the least of His favor any moment of the day, any day of the week, and we must lean entirely and utterly upon God's grace that is so free yet undeserved, and we must choose to live the gospel. And there are many aspects of this, but I would just uh, pay particularly attention as we begin this uh, message tonight that he said in verse number 24, uh, the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 32, he said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And literally what Paul was referring to there was that it is the gospel of Jesus that not only saves them, but leads them on into sanctification until they are fully formed into the image of Jesus Christ. It is the very thing that builds us up and, to, and, and grows us into the measure of a perfect man, uh, according to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 4. And so, it is consequential that it is called the gospel of the grace of God. And, and the good news is that it's available 
to the undeserving. Understand this, that salvation is only available to the undeserving because it's called the gospel of grace. And by definition, grace means unmerited or undeserved favor. Jesus said, that I think not that I am come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there are many that read this portion of Scripture and they, they just kind of pass quickly over verse number 21 when dealing with the subject of repentance because many want to believe that there has to be some sort of uh, evidence in terms of true penitence in order for there to be salvation in the person's life and that they've got to repent of all their sins. And really, repentance is an essential component of salvation, but only as we see it revealed here in Acts chapter number 20, where Paul said in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So it wasn't repentance from sin toward God. No, it's repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance means a change of mind or a turning around. And what he was saying is that you're turning from your way, whatever you think is the way of salvation, you're repenting of that, and you're turning to God. And when you do so, you have turned toward the Lord Jesus Christ. For me to have to recount every sin that I have ever committed and then somehow repent of each individual sin is probably a fool's errand if that is the condition for my salvation. Now to be certain I will be sorry for my sin and that is decidedly something that the Bible communicates but I think that it is important for us to recognize that Jesus took care of our sin debt upon the cross of Calvary. And as He hung there on Golgotha's hill, from Calvary's view, He saw every sin that you or I would ever commit. And He took care of it all in advance. And we must then reckon upon the forgiveness that is ours through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then every day live in dependence upon that enabling and sustaining grace, that redemptive and restorative grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say that the ground is all level at the foot of the cross. And so it is. And what that compels us to understand is that there are no proud men that come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because it is none of us and it is all of Jesus. And so we come before Him throwing ourselves at His mercy like the, uh, the, the publican who made his way into the temple and smote upon his breast and lift, could not so much as lift up his face unto heaven but cried and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the reality is that is how we all must come. And let me say this, that as we consider the subject of living the gospel, that is how the gospel compels us then to live, with humility. Because you see, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't even have enough faith to, 
to live this life in and of myself. I need God to produce the faith by the the working of the agent of the Christ life, the Holy Spirit of God in me, to give me the faith to simply depend upon Him day by day. And what that leads me to is a place of humility before God. And in, in other words, what I'm beginning to learn how to do is live the Gospel, not just in the letter, but in the Spirit that it is given. And so as we see the Gospel on full display here, we realize that what we receive through the Gospel that we can then live is a wonderful thing. It is a whole palette of blessings, spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And let me say to you that we notice first of all in this passage, God's people. What Paul did was he called his brethren to Miletus and uh, and to meet... From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to gather together. And, and he called them something very interesting. As we read down through this, we see that he called them brethren, which indicated that when he received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he became a part of a greater family. It was the family of God. He became the child of God by faith. And when he did so, he joined a great cloud of witnesses that then were instantly his brothers and his sisters. In this family, we have a true sense of belonging. As we study the history of the early church, we know that those that took Jesus as their Savior were often ostracized and alienated. They were disenfranchised and disowned, and they were impoverished because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, as we study through the first and second wave of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, we can find that there were many there that were possessors of lands and and other things, but There was none of them there, the Bible says. Not of them said that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You see, there was just a benevolent spirit because they realized one of the benefits that they were not deserving of, that they were uh, the richest beneficiary of, and that was that of having a family that would love and care for them, that would pray for them, that when their own relatives forsook them and had a funeral to count them as dead because they forsook all that they had been raised with, we understand that they entered in to a blessing that they were not at all deserving of, but they were certainly grateful for. And as they understood that it was a grace to have this family, they began to live out in a deeper, fuller way the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ with humility, to think that I get to be a part of this family. I tell you that when I met my wife, Linda, uh, she uh, told me that she had always wanted to be a part of a big family. And so uh, uh, today we had, I think, 15 or so people gather around the table. And she got her wish. Sometimes I think maybe she she will have second thoughts on that matter because uh, uh, we, we can run her over with the demands in the kitchen. But the fact is, She counts it as a rare and special blessing 
to be able to gather together with family, people that love you. And I, for one, can say that I'm grateful to be a part of this church family. When people say, Pastor, I'm praying for you, I think they really mean it. When they say, Pastor, I love you, I sense that they do. They're not just saying it to hear themselves talk. It's coming from their heart. And you know what? It's a grace that I'm undeserving of. But I want to live up to the ideals of a spiritual family and be the brother in the Lord that all of my spiritual brothers and sisters so need for me to be. And when I enter into that, I am in a richer, fuller way beginning to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus. And I want you to know that we're a part of His family. I, I know it may seem old-fashioned to some, but I'm still, I, I guess in my kids' eyes, I'm old. Um, and, uh, but you know, I like to call people brother and sister. And uh, I, I think sometimes we, we too quickly and easily have this, this sense that we want to be uh, looked upon by the world as sophisticated and educated. And so what we do is we too quickly give up on the semantics that are contained in the Word of God that are great Bible words like brother, like sister. Because that's what we are. Now, I want you to see not only in this passage God's people, but would you notice with me God's providence? God's providence. For we notice that the Apostle Paul said in verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God. I commend you to God. These that he had counted as his children in the Lord, literally, because he had had the joy of seeing them birthed into the family of God and seeing them, many of them, uh, begin to engage the work of the Lord and grow and become more mature in the faith. It was a great joy to his heart. And now he realized that he would no longer be with them. And sometimes when we see our children go off into the world, we have these apprehensive feelings, wondering if they're going to live out their faith and thinking, how are they going to make it without me there to mentor and lead them? What we must do then is trust in a providential God who is able to build them up and able to care for their needs and able to deal with them in a way that is far better on every level than anything that we could ever do. The fact is that Paul recognized that God was sovereign and he was not. He recognized that he could not play God in the lives of his converts and that the only one who could provide everything that we really truly needed was watching over us already. And Paul said, I'm not abandoning you. I'm commending you to God and to the word of His grace. To a God who is sovereign in your life, who has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, I'm leaving now to go to Jerusalem, but there's one that will never leave you. 
He was trusting in the providential care of God. He was commending them to the word of his to God and to the word of his grace. My friends, I would tell you this. We must live the gospel in this sense. Parents, recognize that you can't save your kids. Only God can do that. And at some point in time, we can do all that we can do, but in the end, we commend them to God and to the Word of His grace. Because He alone is the one who is able to accomplish in them the thing that will be enduring, that will last unendingly. We have to remember that He is God and we are not. I see far too many parents taking children that are launching into adulthood, they're college age, career age people, and they're still trying to micromanage their lives. They're still trying to vicariously live out their dreams through their children and not allowing their children to fully submit themselves into the hand of the sovereign God. And so that leads us to the realization that we must live the gospel in the respect that, look, we can't save our kids in this life or the next. We've got to commend them to the only one who can really care for them at all hours. I I love Psalm 121. You know, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And we, we understand that he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Sometimes, folks, you've got to get some rest. But you know, God doesn't need any. And He will keep watch over your loved ones. And so, just come to terms with the reality that He is God and you are not. So stop trying to do His job and live the gospel and commend your children into the hands of a sovereign God. A providential God who is the only one that can meet every need in their life. So we notice God's people and we see in this passage God's providence. But would you notice God's promises? God's promises. This is none other than what we read in verse 32. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. God has given you His Word that though you don't deserve it, He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. My friends, the promises of God are rich and full and they are accessible to all who will believe and receive them. And we know that the word of His grace is is true and that it is available to everyone who receives it. The promises of God that everything that we have need of in life we do not deserve. But God will not only impute His righteousness to us through the riches of His grace, but He will impart 
His grace to us by supplying for our every need. And do you know God will come forth in, in pure righteousness and offer the undeserving whatever it is that they have need of. Do you know, listen, God giving me His grace, that, that is God giving to me what I don't have and what I don't deserve and that I would never have unless He gave it to me. And when I understand that that really is the, is the framework for all my days, the need for His grace, sustaining grace, I begin to live the Gospel in a richer, fuller way. Everything then about my life becomes a witness to what Christ has done for me. So we notice that the Word of His grace reveals that all that He gives is entirely a gift that is unmerited and free. Though it costs God everything. And His unchanging Word assures us of this. For He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but My Word will never pass away. I claim that verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that means that I can never lose it. It's everlasting. If I could lose it, it would only be temporary. It could never be everlasting. I like what it says in John 10, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. What did God say? They shall never perish. Neither shall any man be able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man shall be able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. My Father and I are one. Listen, my friend, we have the promise of eternal life. We shall never perish. I like what the Bible says in John 6. It says, All that the Father giveth to Me shall come to Me, and him that cometh to Me I will in no wise cast out. Listen, there's nothing that you did to get saved. Jesus paid it all. And there's nothing that you can do to be unsaved once saved. Because we're born again by faith in Jesus Christ. And once we have been born into the family of God, it is an impossibility for us to somehow go back into the gestational period and become unborn because once we have come into this world we have eternal life and that is the very life of God it is impervious to anything that I might think say or do and I have everlasting life it is a promise that God has given I must live that with confidence and boldness despite the frailties of flesh such that others would wonder why it is that I have this joy and why it is that I have this confidence toward God because I have a, a loving God who loves me so much that He wants to know that I have a part with Him and a place in His heaven forever and ever. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We notice not only the blessing of the gospel of His grace being that of God's people, part of the family, and God's providence, His 
watch, care, and sovereignty over us and those that we know and love. And also, we're partakers of God's promises, but we understand that there is God's program. God has a program or a plan, if you would, a will for your life that He has promised to fulfill. For He said in Philippians chapter 1 and and verse number 6, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so we know that what God has started, He will finish. You know, God is a finisher, isn't He? On the cross, He said, it is finished. I I don't know if you know people that get things started, they never quite get them done. Uh, They're always going to get around to it, but they never quite do. And uh, uh, one time someone gave me uh, a unique kind of a, a coin, and it was a coin, and on, imprinted on the coin was T-U-I-T. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the reverse side of it said, now you have a round to it. So you can get a round to it. And just get her done. You know, He which hath begun a good work in you, guess what? He's going to finish the job. And He has already finished that work of salvation, work of redemption. And uh, listen, we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit which will seal us until the redemption of the purchased possession. And so what we know is that the program of God from here to heaven is to grow us up in Him. It is God working in the life of the believer to build us up. And understand this, that Paul said in verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to do what? Which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So what is God's program? The program of God is none other than the operation of God's grace on a daily basis in your life, whereby God is forming you more and more with every passing day through trials and tribulations, through peaks and valleys, into the image of Jesus Christ. In His sovereignty, we know that all things are for our sake. And we understand that God is doing nothing to us, but doing everything for us. The law of God could never accomplish this. All that the law of God could ever do was tear you down and make you guilty, beat you down, and make you uh, a wretch before God. It served its purpose. But the word of His grace is the, is the very part of God's program that builds you up and gives you an inheritance. It's not your own efforts because, my friends, the law is kept in the strength of flesh. But the arm of flesh will fail you. For Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to His disciples after they could not Stay awake through three watches of the night. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, for truly the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the law could only condemn. It could only tear you down. But the grace of God operationally in our life can build us up into the image of Jesus Christ. And my friends, it's more than just a Bible study. It's more than the uh, accumulating of academic data from God's Word. Because the Bible reveals to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth unto all things. You see, grace is the unrestrained operation of God's love toward man. 
And when it is at work, it is edifying in every way to the life of the believer. It is something that God, in fact, will complete because not only do we know that He which hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, but we know that, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And we know that God will complete His building program in our lives as a function of His grace. And so we surrender to it and we determine to to live in the grace of God. And when we do, we begin to live the grace of God more meaningfully, more intimately, and more deeply. We notice here, not only God's people as a benefit of God's grace and God's providence is His sovereign care over us, His promises which we claim, and His program which He will finish, but His privilege. For you see, the Bible tells us that not only is the word of His grace able to build us up, but also to give us an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You see, God has privileged us not only to be called the sons of God, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, it says in 1 John 3.1. But let me tell you this, we have the privilege of being heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance among all them that are sanctified eternally by the working of the Holy Spirit. And what a privilege it is to be considered His child. And what a privilege it is to know that He has called us to glory. And one day we will indeed be glorified together with Him. Thank God we know that there is a great promise, but one of the benefits of living the Gospel is God's preservation. That God will keep us. Do you know that you are not kept saved by your own effort? You're not saved because of what you've done or chosen not to do, and you don't stay saved because of what you do or choose not to do. You're saved entirely because of the work of God. We're born again not by the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but the will of God. The Bible says, Of, of His own will begat He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. We, we recognize that we didn't go seeking for God, but Luke 19.10 tells us the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so it was entirely God's grace. And when He laid hold of us, He sealed us, according to Ephesians 1, by that Holy Spirit of promise. It tells us that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. And so we are kept, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, 5, by the power of God. And in Jude verse 24, He's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne. These are promises to them that He has sanctified. And when we recognize that we don't have to keep ourselves saved, we can rest in the power of God and trust in His unchanging Word and know that one day 
He will present us before the Father as faultless. For He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before Him in love. And so, my friends, God wants us not just to come to the place where we accept the Gospel at the moment of our conversion. And that's the end of it. We thank the Lord for the fire insurance. No, the Gospel is something that He calls us to live out every day in complete and utter dependence upon the mercy and grace of God. And then, to make the work of my life be all about the communication of the Gospel of God's grace. Friends, have you received Christ as your Savior? I hope that you can say yes. You have. You have received the Word of His grace, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, God is calling you to live it every day. And you know, there's something about that that's comforting. Because I have a sense of belonging. I have someone watching over me. I have someone providing for me and someone who's giving me that which I could never earn or deserve. And He will. He'll do so until the day of Jesus Christ. There are many gifts, many spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ that we often overlook. But let me say, it transcends merely the fact that we have been saved from hell. It goes to the place where we can experience the glories of intimacy with God right here, right now. And may that be true in every one of our lives. Our Father and our God, thank You for the privilege that we have to be called the sons of God. Lord, may we not just hear the Gospel and receive it that we would escape hell, but Lord, may we understand that You call us then to live in humility and dependence upon You, which is calling upon the grace and it's good news that You'll do it for us. May we live the Gospel. May we live courageously, boldly, such that others would look and wonder what it is that they have. Lord, may there be something magnanimous about the people of God, that we may have a greater and more meaningful witness. Use us, I pray, O God. Our heads are bowed for a moment. Wherever you are tonight, there in the quietness of your home perhaps, have you accepted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Have the assurance of a home in heaven? Friend, brother, sister, if you have, God wants you to live out in humility and dependence. Live that life out in humility and dependence upon Him every moment of every day. And the good news is, He will give you all that you need. He's a sovereign God. He will build you up. He will give you what you could never earn, what you could never deserve. Praise Him forevermore. Now I want you to look at me for a moment. If you're watching this broadcast and in your heart of hearts you're not certain that if you died right now that you would go to heaven to be with the Lord. The next few moments will be the most important of your life to this point. I want you to listen very carefully. 
Because here is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is this, that God loves you. And He wants to forgive you and to spend forever with you in heaven. But first we must understand that all of us are sinners. The Bible says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Folks, we're all sinners. And even if we could change our behavior, we have a problem, and that is that we were born sinners because we inherited a sin nature from Adam. And so the Bible tells us there's a consequence for sin. The wages of sin is death. And what that means is there is a price that must be paid for sin. And the price that must be paid for sin is death in hell. The Bible teaches us this. My friends, I want to tell you that God does not want you to go there. A loving God sends no one there. He did everything to keep you from going. If anyone ever goes to hell, they have to crawl over an old rugged cross in order to get there. And so tonight, my friends, realize that a loving God sent His only Son, Jesus, to this earth who died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sin and mine. The Bible says, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. We deserve to die. We deserve to suffer. But Jesus shed His own blood, the perfect, pure, and holy blood of God, and applied it to the altar of God in your behalf and mine so that we may be set free, so that we may receive the forgiveness of sin and know that heaven is ours forever. My friend, it's available to all who will receive it by faith. It is called the gift of God. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift. It's nothing that you earn. God wants to give it to you. And he said this, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from hell, forgiven of sin, and delivered by God's grace into the realms of glory to enjoy the splendor of heaven with him forever. And if you believe the gospel as I have presented it, that, that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from a holy God and the just punishment for sin is separation from God in hell, but that God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die in your place and to become your sacrifice so that you could be forgiven of sin and that now He offers heaven and forgiveness to you as a free gift purchased with His blood for all who will believe Him and receive that. And if you simply ask Him for that gift, He said you shall be saved. If you believe what I have shared with you tonight, then I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer along with me. Now my prayer will not save you. But if these words reflect the desires of your heart and you pray them, it will be your prayer to God because He's looking into your heart and you will be saved. So I wonder if you desire forgiveness and a home in heaven, if you would right now pray together with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sins and to save me 
so that I may spend forever in heaven with God. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you were buried and rose again to offer me this new life. Enable me, Lord, to live for thee. For this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you just received the gospel and you prayed that prayer with me on the authority of God's word, you're now saved. You have what the Bible calls everlasting life that never ends. We want you to let us know about it because we want to send you a Bible and send you some resources that will help you to begin growing in your newfound faith in Jesus Christ. You can, through Sermon Audio or through our website, freewaybaptist.org, find our contact information. It would be our delight to send you these gifts and to encourage you along the pathway as you begin to grow in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thank you.